recording live from the house of someone who wants to be called Mitchell instead of Mitch. It's the Seahawks Nest Quick Shot, or podcast, or whatever we want to call this episode. It's the Seahawks Quick Nest Shot Cast. All right. With Mitch. Off-season mode. Yeah, he's no longer Mitch Trubisky, man. He's Mitchell. You know the you know the story behind that, right? His maturity. Mom, mom wants to call him Mitchell. Yeah, so and it became such a big deal at the combine. He's like, look, you guys can call me either one. I really don't care. Wow, that's that's <laughs> way, way to really uh, way to really uh, establish yourself as a leader. I don't care what you call me. Call me whatever you want. I can see why, as a junior, the coach thought he would lose the team if he named him the starter. <laughs> I mean, geez, way to really stand up for yourself there, Mitch. Man, the uh. The 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 God, um, yeah, harsh. The byline is like, "Thanks, mom. Thanks, mom. I got this, mom." <laughs> I I don't I don't like Mitch Trubisky. Spoiler alert. Um, so uh, I'm Nathan Santo over there. We got Kevin Garber. Yep. And uh, Eric Ronnebeck. Hello. If you wanted to know who was talking, hey, uh, uh, first off season, <clears throat> big shouts, big shouts to everyone who's given those reviews and likes because we hit our highest uh, listenership of the off season so far. Keep it up. Woo. Yeah, what you're what you're doing is working. Uh, keep it up. All right, so let's talk. Uh, let's talk Seahawks news first. There's a few things uh, I wanted to hit real quick about the Seahawks. I know there's not a ton of stuff. Uh, Trayvon Boykin got arrested. Yep, he certainly that did. Was the big story, and he was on one year probation for a Dewey last year, and it's been nine months. I did not know that. But he got arrested because he was a passenger in a car that what was it drove into the club. Yeah, yes, I don't know. in the this side of the building. Good. Like they, this bad things happen. And he had That's, he had marijuana in his system, and he was drunk. And I feel like in, in this they, day and age, you should not go to jail for being a passenger and having those two things. Yeah, he got a drunk in public, uh, and there was a charge for possession. But I don't think the test results have come back yet, right? Yep. So, so we might need a backup quarterback. But we can always dust off Tavares Jackson. Who cares? Um, if Russell Wilson's hurt, this team is is not in good shape anyway. So I'm not really concerned. <laughs> well, if he's hurt, it doesn't matter. He's going to play and harm the team. All right. So the Seahawks signed three uh, three new players. Uh, two that I thought were interesting, and one that I don't care about at all. Or two, one that I thought was interesting, and two I don't really care about. We signed Terrence Garvin. He's a linebacker. Um, he's fine. He'll compete for the outside linebacker spot unless we draft someone. And uh, I think he's he's fine. He's he's a, a simil- of similar ilk to the other outside linebackers we have signed. So yeah, far. he seems like a good uh, special teams guy. Depth. Right. So, I mean, throw him in there against Arthur Brown and uh, see what happens. And see Will who, Hoyt. See Will who Hoyt. Uh, emerges victorious. Uh, we signed another kicker, uh, John Lunsford. Uh, we just That's just to challenge Blair Walsh and make I've sure. I've never he heard of John Lunsford. Uh, he was a UDFA last year out of, like, Liberty, I think. I'm still hoping we draft uh, Kickzilla uh, in the draft. You know, my boy, my uh, Division Three world uh, champ world beater. If you got his name without looking it up, nope. I would be worlds of impressed. It's like John Davis or something. No, it's not. It's not that simple. Here, give me a thirty. Uh, I'll fill it. I'll fill, I'll fill. I'll fill. So <laughs> they also re-signed Dewey McDonald, who was picked up last year. Uh, he was a special teams guy, and that's not the one I was thinking of as the interesting signing, Kevin. But just so you know, the best kicker ever is. Uh, oh, is, is he even on here? Dead. He's not even on here. He's done. He's falling. He's falling. He's no longer the greatest. On this Walter football uh, draft list, unless it's te- Eric Medina, which I don't think it is. No, it wasn't. Oh man, never trust your kicker named like, Eric. It was the most generic thing. It was like yeah, whatever. John Davis. I'll look it up some other time. Anyway, 
Uh, I'll just go back and listen to like two weeks ago podcast where I talked about this. From Southwest Lafayette, Missouri, and a state. Like it's the same college that the Waterboy played for. Bradley McDougald <laughs> is the signing that I think is actually interesting. Uh, he's a safety from the Bucks, uh, and he probably will ably back up both safety positions. And You're not saying his last name right. McDougald. I said it. It's McDougald. He took less money to come to the Seahawks too, which is pretty cool. That's uh, that's attracting more of those free agents. That's neat. Hit the Nate hit the nail on the head right there. This is a guy who's going to come in, and if he has to play, you can be like, "Hey, that guy just came in and didn't screw everything up." As He's opposed, a perfect backup. As opposed to the forgettable guys that we've had at safety outside of you know Cam well, and Earl. He's more. Uh, I think he'll be more on the ball than Stephen Terrell has been. Terrell seemed to have some problems with the read and react, and McDougal's a little bigger, so he can fill in the run and he can also play strong safety and if we end up going three safety sets he's a guy who'd start for some teams like he's a very average safety he's a solid guy to have on the team which also would make him a good special teamer yeah i i think that he's like a potentially useful uh nfl football player and that is a lot more than i can say about some of the safety play we got from our backups last year yeah who's the older safety that we had not steven Ah, thank you. They and were not. He was they were a not solid backup strong safety, but there were clear holes in his game. The fact that he didn't play when Earl went out was very telling. Yeah, yeah McDougald is uh, better and and younger. Uh, there's really like nothing. Uh, there's no downgrade here. Last year, McDougald scored a 79 on Pro Football Focus rating, which is pretty good. I mean, it's a small sample. He didn't. He didn't play like as a ton. Kelsey McCray scored a 47.8 though, just to give you a point of comparison you know it's like yeah. he was he was much uh, much better so yeah, he played a thousand snaps last year which is actually quite a lot so uh, he's going from being a starter to not being a starter which will be interesting adjustment i don't know uh, we'll unless we play it like unless we play a five db set a lot and yeah. then he could be kind of a starter or unless cam chancellor is the answer at outside linebacker <laughs> i mean i don't know I, at this point I'm i'd be sorry. okay with that at point in his career i mean it's i'm much you know, what he plays now if he plays the Dayon Buchanan role, I would have no problems with that. Uh, Bobby Wagner would be pissed because he hates when there's uh, not three linebackers on the field. You know, when you look at how big Cam Chancellor is, I think you can just count him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just so call then, it. Um, there's really not a lot else going on. Oh, I have some non-news I want to bring up. Seahawks, except for one last thing that broke <laughs> six hours ago that I'm not sure you guys have even heard. So we've posited a lot. Where are all these offensive linemen going to you end up? You got my story. <laughs> John Schneider... Said Abushi's going to start at right guard. Ifedi's going to start at right tackle. Ooh, and Joko will start it. at left tackle or left guard, depending on the other guy that I can't other, remember. If we draft someone or how Glowinski plays, not Glowinski. No, who's the other? Didn't we get another tackle? Odiambo? Not Odiambo. Come on, who is a le- who's a Fant? Not Fant. Walter Odiambo. Jones. No, who? No, who's who the other is- guy we got? Who's our other left tackle? Come on, you guys are. This is someone last week. Joko was two weeks ago. Who did we get last week? We didn't Abushi. sign. We didn't sign anyone. It was Abushi. Yeah, it was Abushi. It's someone who played right tackle for us last year. Not Gilliam. It wasn't. Fan Not Gilliam. Oh. I said Gilliam already. Oh, I thought you didn't. You're killing Sorry. me. <laughs> yeah, Gilliam is the. If you were gonna say Sal, I was gonna throw my chair at you. So Gilliam and Joko, right now, if we get no new guys, will be competing for left tackle, and then Joko will be left guard if he doesn't win left tackle. If if he's not, then. Glowinski will be left guard, and so that's a kind of a weird three-way thing where Joko is going to get one of those two positions, and then one of those other guys 
this slide in. I thought Gilliam was serviceable as left tackle and horrible at right tackle. So I'm hoping that you, you, it's funny. Every week you're saying something like you're kind of beating the drum on something. And ne- the next week or two weeks later, ta-da, it happens. Last week you were talking about, I hate Gary Gilliam. I like to see him at left tackle. He's decent at left tackle. He's at least de- more decent than what we had. And what do you know? Now we are bringing him into the left tackle not, conversation. Yeah. They're, they're saying he's not going to play right tackle, which is a good move because yes. I think that the switch to right tackle, it kind of undid a lot of the progress that he had made because he was so, you know, he's converted from defensive linemen and you can't just run guys like that through different spots on the offensive line. Luke Joko, on the other hand, is an experienced offensive lineman. If he needs to change positions even during the season, he's probably going to be able to do it. He's got the, the raw talent, you know, to do it. So I'm I'm actually pretty happy with this decision overall. I think it works for the best of the team. I would love if we ended up with a left tackle <clears throat> in the draft, but you know, if that's it'll either happen or it won't, you know. And if it doesn't happen, I don't think we're in that bad of shape. And depth wise, we're way better off than we were last year. That's yeah. a big thing is we actually have players who can come in and play at a like a league average backup. Fant as a instead backup. of just a hole. Fant as a backup, that's fine. Fant is backup level talent. Saul looking for backup uh, position somewhere else. Backup at both guard spots. Yeah, yeah. I'm into that. Uh, that works. Gilliam is a backup at left tackle. Solid. Yeah, if we end up with yeah, right. If if uh, we end up with Joko at left tackle and then Gilliam's our backup tackle, that's awesome. Yeah, he's really good. I mean, however it ends up shaking out, we have more serviceable defense offensive linemen, and the guys that are supposed to be backups or are going to be backups. Fant is going to be a backup. Yes. Odiambo is going to be back up. Like, Here's the thing: with are not going to be playing significant. Fant especially. Fant should not be starting on an NFL football. No, team. he needs like three years yeah. of sitting on the bench, playing limited snaps. We need to put him in the smoker, turn the heat down real low, and just let him let Go him cook all day, low and slow. Man, he needs to he needs to be in the be in the smoker. I'm fine. We've said this before. I'm fine with future Fant. I do not want present day Fant for at least another year and a half. There's one thing I like and one thing I don't. I am not a big fan of Luke Jokel at guard because I think all of his holes show worse at guard than they do at tackle. But if I'm right about that, then the competition will bear that out so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm not sure. He he, seems equally average at each spot to me. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's... Like, when I watched him play both spots, I thought he was just like, he's okay at left tackle, and he's... I mean, that that's good, though. A, a guy that's okay that's at left great. tackle is a big upgrade for us. And he's okay at left guard. He's not great. He hits his spots. I mean, we all... I think it's great he that we all watch Choco film. Be. He knows where he's supposed to be on the field. Yeah. He's just not strong is the biggest problem. Like, he can be physically dominant. And where dominated. do you need strength more so on the inside on the outside his length is a benefit on the inside he plays with a little bit of a wide base which makes sense for a tackle but it got him into trouble a little bit last year yeah but there's strong guys on the outside like you look at teams like chicago who are trying to build these strong defensive ends up and i don't know it's just some four three teams now just play like a huge dude at defensive end that's true we're going to talk about we do we have bennett we're going to talk about some of these dudes right now because well wait real quick before that okay the thing that i like though is a Fetty and Abushi at tackle and guard, that is two big sides of beef on the right side, plus Brit. If you are just trying, if you're just going, hey, we're going to do power run with a 240 pound running back and just 
ram it down your throat. If a Fetty that is a find, side of the line that can do that. If a Fetty can find a guy to block, it will work. Yeah. <laughs> so just, what you do is call a bunch of plays where it's like, hey, just move forward and hit that guy. He just needs to be smarter. Like That's the problem I had last year is they had too many guys who didn't know who they were supposed to be blocking. And getting a guy like Ibushi who knows the scheme already is, that's a, it. is a big win because he knows who he's supposed to block. And he's going to be able to hopefully, like after every play, I'm sure during spring, during training camp, sorry, I almost called it spring training. During training camp, I'm sure after every play, if Fetty's not going to the right guy, he's going to be looking right at him going, hey, that's your guy. You need to get to the second level and block that guy. Or you need to be out here in the field working that safety. Like he's going to know what guy Fetty should have. Yeah, this is that having a veteran on the line thing. Yeah, getting how much and we Joe kept Clark talking about, like how many – how many times do we say we just need like a veteran or two to help glue the line to help basically yeah. Yeah. show the young guys what to do? It's my one good offensive lineman theory. Unfortunately, we I'm pretty sure we didn't actually sign a great offensive lineman. So it's 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 his we got two three, less than good. All right, yeah, offensive line, three theory. decent offensive <laughs> line. We're gonna see if that if we're gonna see if three decent guys ends up being one good guy. I would not be surprised if this year's offensive line still is in the bottom ten. But twenty seconds a lot better than thirty second. Yep. So that's that's where I'm at on that. Um. All right. So now now you're ready, Kevin. Yeah, I think hit, we're there. Hit the draft. All right. So we're gonna do we're gonna do our draft preview in three parts, and we're gonna use this to transition between the uh, Seahawks portion of the offseason podcast and the NFL portion, because we're gonna talk uh, first about the first day of the drafts. Then next week we'll be hitting the second day, and then. Uh, Kevin will be talking about the third day because that's the point where I don't know any of the people anymore. Uh, so for those of you who are not fluent in draftees, because this stuff has changed so much in recent years, so day one's just round one, day two's rounds two and three, day three is all the rounds that you don't actually watch because they never tell you who the players are and they just talk about all the day one picks. Yeah, and it's also like oh, coverage it's a little, is terrible. Let's be honest, day three, the end rounds is a li- is about it's about your scouting department and it's a little bit of dart throwing. Because uh, there's so many guys, and the, honestly, you have so many choices. And I mean, look at the success of recent undrafted free agents. That I think it goes to show that like sometimes everyone misses. Yeah, you know, it's like, and that's just kind of the way it is. The early rounds, you got, you're supposed to hit, and you gotta hit because these picks are important. And so I think that's maybe why the the third day of the draft gets a lot less dap because. I mean, at the end of the day, we you never know. You if you're know. getting drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh round, there's a reason. Yeah, there's a there's some, there's some holes in your game where they just don't know what you're going to be. Yeah, or you didn't put a bunch of stuff on tape, and you're really raw. And yeah, all right. Anyway, or you went to West Leftern, Carolina. <laughs> Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks are positioned at pick number twenty six. Uh, they're pick. They're right at the end of the first round. Uh, this draft is thought of as deep in a couple specific areas: uh, edge rushers, interior, interior defensive linemen, uh, cornerbacks, safeties, wide receivers. Those are the the positions people think this draft is stacked. Uh, especially and the running top. back has some depth. Especially the top running back, people are saying that this is, might be the first draft in a while that three running backs get taken in the first round. Yep, which is uh, would be a pretty big uh, shocker because running backs have kind of gone down in value league wide lately. But Leonard Fournette's real good. Christian McCaffrey's uh, quickly rising back into the first round. There's a lot of things Dal- to like about him, and Dalvin Cook is a solid talent. Like they, yeah, he didn't guys, have a great pro day. Uh, he didn't have a great combine, but he has all the stuff on film. Yeah. So I mean, and a lot of people are starting to trust film a lot more uh, yes. when, in terms of player evaluation, which is good for us because that's the way we have to interact mostly with the players. We don't get to go to the combine and ask them a bunch of questions. Yeah. So all right, let's talk about where the Seahawks are at, though, Kevin. 
What do you what do you uh what do you foresee us wanting to do with that for end of first round pick? So I think at the end of the first round, I see two primary scenarios and then something else that could play out. So there are three consensus offensive tackles that are first round talents. If one of them are there, I think odds are really good that they get picked up. And uh, that's Ryan Ramchek from Wisconsin, Cam Robinson from Alabama, and Garrett Bowles from Utah. If those players are gone, then about, you start looking. What about the other offensive tackle, Forrest Lamp? Or Forrest I know Lamp, he's a guard tackle hybrid guy. They don't really know where he'll land in the NFL. He went to Western Kentucky, but he killed it at the right. He killed it at the combine. Right? He killed it at the combine. But the problem is that unless at the combine he grew three more inches on his arms. He's in trouble because he's got like 32 inch arms, which for those of you who don't follow offensive line a lot, that is considered short for an NFL tackle, which means that defensive ends can get inside to your chest. Uh, for an offensive guard or for an offensive tackle, you want like between 30, uh, at least 33 and a half. And if you can get to 34 or 35 inch reach, you know, it's like a boxer. If your arms are shorter, you're losing that reach advantage, and you have like these really long-limbed guys that can just put a hand on your chest and push you around, and it becomes a big problem. 32 is too small, but 33 and a half, you're doing okay. That inch and a half. uh, You know, an inch and a half makes a big difference in life. SB Nation is mocking the draft, uh, keeps track of every draft mock that, um, that... they do basically. They do. It's a I great resource for 60, those who are interested. Sixty-eight mocks they track, and they track each team, and they say, and uh, of these sixty-eight mocks, sixty point two percent of them have us taking Bowles, Lamp, Robinson, or Ramsey in this spot. So it is by far the most popular choice among mock drafters for us to take one of these four guys. That being said, mock drafters do one thing that really does I do not like, which is that they shift guys around so that they. So the guys end up in the best fit. It happens all the time. And I don't think mock drafters think about this when they're doing this. But there's a reason that they have all these offensive tackles falling to the Seahawks at the end of the first round. It's because that's a great fit. It is. It's a great fit for an offensive tackle to end up in Seattle because we really need an offensive tackle. And it's quite possible that, as Kevin said, all of these guys are gone by the time we pick. All four. And what do you think is the likelihood of that, Kevin? I mean, let's, let's just go with the three that you mentioned. Let's take Lamp out of the equation. Three guys. I would say if those Lamp's going to go above a lot of these I guys. I think Lamp has a good shot at being the second offensive lineman off yeah. the board. Because some people think he might be a right tackle. Here's the thing. He has so many physical tools. But if you watch, he reminds me a lot of Britt, except he's a little quicker. So I think if you put him at guard, he's one of those people, he could be a physically dominant guard. Because all the tape I saw... Even, like, take a guy like uh, Jonathan Allen, who's going to be a top three pick. Uh, elite three technique slash defensive end for the University of Alabama this year. When uh, Western Kentucky played Alabama, when Forrest Lamp got his hands on Jonathan Allen, he neutralized him. Yeah, and, and that was from the tackle spot? The hand, that was from the tackle okay. spot. He played left tackle for four years. And he's one of the handful of people who can claim that he neutralized Jonathan Allen on almost a play-for-play basis. Yep. He did a really good job against Alabama. He did a really good job against Arden Key in 2015, too. Mm-hmm. He was a good edge rusher. I mean, he's... he's but he has that. to cheat to do it. You watch the, his footwork, he cheats. 
the the thing is people compare him to like a guy like Zach Martin and I, I think that's a fair comparison. Like the the best offensive guard in the league, that's what Forrest Lamp's upside is. Is yep. the best offensive guard in the league. Yeah, somebody's gonna pick him like right around twentieth, plug him in, and he's gonna be a Pro Bowl caliber uh, left or right guard for the next ten years. Don't be surprised. Like Broncos at twenty, that's a great fit. Yeah. You know, uh, Washington at seventeen because he's athletic enough to play in a zone scheme, but he's got so much anchor. That dude's got sand in his backside. And he can play whatever scheme you want. He is scheme independent. I apologize to all listeners for my death cough. Uh, I'm trying to cough away from the microphone, but it's hard. This room is full of microphones. That's true. I don't like the Redskins taking Lamp because that's a smart play, and the Redskins don't draft smart. Yeah, they won't do that. They'll probably draft a wide receiver. Wide receiver, absolutely. Um, So if those guys are gone, which I think odds are one of them will be there, but you never know. Sometimes when there's position scarcity like this, people can reach. Like what happens with quarterbacks every year. Well, it'll be fun because, let's face it, what are we drafting? 27th? 20, 26th. Okay. So 26th. So around 24, if three guys are taken, it's just going to be like that. Oh, two picks. So what you want to see is if, I think if like Garyon Conley from Ohio State falls to 26 as a corner, this guy is a dream. He's got, is he can flip his hips perfectly he plays leverage well he's a really good fit his tackling needs work but he and he uh he gives people a little bit too much room but he's the type of corner with his raw physical skills if he made it to us which could happen if all of those tackles get taken because that's pushing people down the board then right you're talking about someone who could be the best corner on the team in a year with a little bit of coaching because we coach DBs like nobody's business. Yeah, Garyon Conley and, and also Kevin King are both two guys that are potentially available at the end of the first round that both would be incredible scheme fits for us that have ath- strong athletic talents that uh, you know Earl is going to be able to hide all their weaknesses while uh, they develop whichever either one we would be able to get. So I'd be happy with either of those guys. Yeah, or Cordray Tankersley I think is a guy that yeah. maybe if we trade back you could see. And then the other wild card is... If Malik McDowell falls. Right. Malik, or any, there's so many defensive linemen that are talented in this draft that guys that normally would get top of the first round grades are going to go towards the end of the round. Malik McDowell's the dream. We need a defense, we, interior defensive lineman. He's incredible. Malik McDowell, he's 6'6, 295. So he's like Calais Campbell size. He's Calais Campbell. But he, he really he is. He has more anchor than Calais Campbell. He has the most limited pass rushing set I've ever seen. Where did he play, Kevin? He has two moves. Um, uh, McDowell played Michigan State. Michigan State yep. He was Michigan State's defense last year. He was the whole thing. He's the heart. He's he could be the like the beating heart of the middle of our defense. Like he he's gonna command multiple guys. Uh, just uh, physical raw physical talent. You uh, but watch him play against like Notre Dame has a bunch of NFL talent on their offensive line, and uh, the last couple years Ohio State teams that are getting offensive linemen drafted, Michigan. And they're double-teaming him, and then he neutralizes the double-team, sheds the double-team, and makes the tackle, and just makes it look easy. The problem was that towards the end of the year, because his team stunk, he lost motivation, and his counting stats aren't great, because he was like a one-man show. He wasn't the guy who was racking up the stats, but he was the straw that stirred the drink. What if... I'm starting to draw comparisons, but it's Seahawks. I want to draw comparisons. 
Are we looking at like Sam Adams esque? Are we looking like Cortez Kennedy esque, or someone else that you want to draw comparisons to? Uh, I like it's hard the to Seahawks. compare anyone to Tez. Yeah, I know. So that guy had such he had all the skill sets on the inside. Uh, he's not this big round guy in the middle like Adams. <laughs> he is longer and more athletic, but he plays with great leverage. For a six six guy, you don't see people get under him very often, and but he anchors like you know. I'm trying to think. Like, did he move around at all? He would move outside sometimes, but that was more just to throw things off. He the thing was he had one rip move and one swim move and that or one club move and that was his entire pass rate set. He was almost as raw coming out as a senior. Or, uh, he was almost as raw coming out this year as he was like the first year he started. He really didn't grow a lot. He just has a ton of innate physical talent. All right, and Kevin, <clears throat> I know that it seems like corner cornerback and tackle seem like the likely positions for us to go. Uh, defensive tackle of Malik Medals there seems like a possibility, but there are so many talented edge rushers in this draft, and there are going to be probably at least two or three of these guys I'm about to name. Uh, available. Uh, we don't have to break them all down because I don't want to go too deep, but I'm just going to throw five names at you of guys I watched all of their tape, and I want to know which ones you like the best. And then, uh, and I'm pretty sure all, I'm pretty sure at least three of these guys will be available when we pick. Give me, a, give me a quick second. We, okay. So the guys that you're about to mention, they're the guys that will either push an offensive tackle into our lap because everyone will take them. Yep. Or they'll be the guys that are left over afterwards. Right. Which is why I think in this draft, sitting in the low 20s can be kind of a win-win. Yeah, because they'll either get like the best offensive tackle in this draft or we're going to get one of these defensive ends that like a top probably 15 should have been drafted in the top 15. So here we go. Taco Charlton, Derek Barnett, Charles Harris, Chris Wormley, and Tuckerus McKinley. Okay, I watched tape for all five of these guys because these guys seem like the ones that we're going to end up most likely at, in the at the end of the round. They're the ones that are probably, especially McKinley's pro- definitely going to be available, I think. Although he's been rising. Uh, what Which of these guys do you like the best? Okay, so Wormley I actually think is going to be like way down in round two. I, I think, think, okay, here's the thing. You say that. I think Wormley might be the best NFL prospect out of all of these guys. I think he might be the most reliable. I think he's, you're going to know what you're getting with him. He's like just, he's so solid. Like, I think... I think Barnett is the best player out of all those. Okay. Barnett was the best player on his defensive line in the SEC. He was a guy who gave, you know, Cam Robinson a run for his money, who gave all these Texas A&M offensive tackles who've been coming out in the draft a run for their money on a consistent basis. I think uh, Barnett is a top 10 defensive end. And if he goes anywhere outside the top 10, that team is getting a bargain. If he fell to us, I would be ecstatic, but I really don't think that happens. Okay. Uh, And then... I think Taco Charlton is a really interesting player. His motor comes and goes. Um, He has inside-outside flexibility. He's 6'6", 277. So he could be used a lot like Michael Bennett. He has a strong dip and bull rush, but he can kind of bend and go to the quarterback really well for a big guy. He sheds blocks naturally, but he's not super reliable versus the run. He doesn't always uh, 
he doesn't always make a great read against the run. Sometimes he loses contain, and he's super vulnerable to chop blocks because when someone goes low because he's so high, he doesn't keep his pad level where it needs to be. So he can get chopped out from under him and kind of get washed in run plays. He's really athletic. He's like, super athletic. I mean, and he I seems he like just a, a really nice dude. I know he ran a slow forty. Both him and Wormley, man, both seem like great people. Like, yeah, I I would not mind picking up both either or both of them just because they both seem like awesome dudes. Uh, Charles Harris is a. Uh, he just seems like he's just a phenomenal athlete. Charles he's, Harris he's a is little a Missouri slight. defensive end. He's a little slight. And I don't trust Missouri defensive ends. They put up college numbers, they come out, and they seem like it's going to work, and then, like, they always end up, like, okay. Like, not great, not bad, but, man, if I'm going to spend a first-round pick in this draft, I don't want Charles Harris. I don't know, man. I really like Shane Ray, but I, I understand yeah. generally what you're saying. Uh well, and Shane Ray is partially a product of the line he's on, which, I mean, Seattle has a good line, so sure. But being on Denver, yeah. Chris Wormley, here's another thing about him and why I think he might be a good fit for the Seahawks. I don't want to go, go too on this, but, like, he can play both inside and outside. He kind of projects to me as more of a, like, a 3-4 defensive end. That's exactly what I um, think. Which is kind of rough for us as a scheme fit, but he could play inside in our schemes on a lot of downs, I think. He could play defensive tackle for us and play defensive end against the run and against the pass. I mean, he could just play on all four line spots, which I think makes him interesting to me. And teams won't shut up about what a good character guy he is, which makes me happy. Like, I like guys like that. Yeah. When they're like, this guy's a good teammate. I want more guys like that to be on the Seahawks because I think that's why we have such good cultures. We have a lot of those great teammate guys. So I have one more wild card, and that's Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones got injured at Pro Day, the cornerback out of Washington, six foot 186. Great, great fit for what we do. Maybe the best fit in the draft. If you want a guy who has a complete understanding of zone and knows how to leverage in man, he's a guy he'll, if you want to go outside on him as a receiver, he'll run you straight to the out of bounds line and squeeze you out of the route. If you go inside, he knows exactly how far his safeties come in zone and he will dare you to throw that ball and he'll bait you. He's a great scheme fit. And people wonder if he's going to come back with as much burst and speed and everything. But I think if we traded down, especially, and could pick him up, even though he's injured, I was gonna. He could be one of those people where we have enough flexibility and talent on the roster to have him come back, maybe a little bit into next year. He can play out next year and get his his feet wet, and then the following year we could have like a top twelve, top fifteen corner. Where do you think he's going to go? Because you you guys are the the draft mavens. I do not watch college um, football. I mean, I will say I'm only really good at evaluating draft quarterbacks. Well, here's like, the th- I've only felt like I can be strong at that. Every other draft position, I'm like a bang average evaluator. The day of the draft, I I know the the first round picks. I'm like I know 90 percent of these guys. But beyond that, I really do scouting he's, as I watch. He's going to go in the second or third round. He's you probably going to so? go. He's going to miss all the next year. Late second. He's not going to miss all of next year for Begin, sure. Beginning of third, third round. Talking he'll about probably that. be published. Yeah, they're they're always conservative with that because they also have to. It's just that was a it. massive knee injury. Uh, I think a, he he banged his Achilles, which is way worse. I thought it was a knee injury. No, he tore his Achilles. I thought. I believe so. Yeah, which is like way worse because Achilles, like a lot of guys say that you never come all the way back from an Achilles injury. 
Like uh, a lot of you know, they reported probably ACL and it was Achilles, and they just said ACL, and that's I just went with first report. Yeah. Well, there was another guy who had an ACL injury uh, at his pro day, similar time, so okay. that could be why. And then actually, there's another guy we'll talk about when we for the day two, uh, Fabian Moreau from UCLA, who tours pectoral, and he's another guy who he should be like top of round two, and he might slip to like end of round three. If we could pick up Sidney Jones. A top fifteen talent at the end of round two, or if we could pick up Fabian Moreau, a top of round two talent at the end of round three, those could be like the high payoff gambles that this team could make and right. really pay off. Let me let, let's. I have two more things I want to talk about. One is man crushes, okay? And I, I'm I'm gonna let my old man crush well, go really quick. Jabril, you do Jabril this? Peppers. Wait, wait. All right, Jabril Peppers. R.I.P. It's been real, but you have no NFL position. I watched you. You have one interception on your tape. You're not a playmaker. You do not interest me anymore. Uh, say la vie. I do. I do not want to have you uh, anymore. That's really uh, sad. I mean, Jabril Peppers, R.I.P. I I thought you guys were. I thought you had something. But you know, with one with the death of one, <laughs> a phoenix rises from the ashes. T.J. Watt. <laughs> I I wish I could say it was only the fact that he's JJ Watt's brother. But Would you say not. that you're turning down for Watt? It's not. I was hoping that. he wasn't related to JJ Watt. I don't care. Oh, I love that three he is Watts probably the most projectable three-four outside linebacker we've had in a long time. Please bring him in to play four-three outside linebacker for us. He is so good. He's going in the top ten only because he's related to JJ. No, no he's, he's going to go bottom of one, top of two. Yeah, that's exactly. If he right. doesn't, he's going to go like. He's gonna go like between twenty, our pick, and uh, like forty. That that's yeah. the range he'll go. And you know what? I would love for us to pick him. I don't. I know it doesn't make total sense. We need an outside linebacker. He's really good, and his physical measurables are out of bounds. He's, they're just they're he's better. Bruce Irvin. Before you start saying anything, he is better. Bruce he's Irvin. Better. I, Bruce I, yeah, Kevin's reading my facial expression, but here's the thing. I'm just. My anti-man crush is taking a linebacker with our first pick. I will be so pissed. <laughs> I'm just going to be, okay, I'll be honest with you. If we take a linebacker with our first pick and it's not TJ Watt, I'm with you. Okay. Oh, I take Hassan Reddick. Okay, well, I'm, I mean, if it's not someone who's fallen. Hassan Reddick is a freak athlete, too. Yeah, but like, if we're. Is like, that your man crush, Kevin? Because you wanted to ask who we wanted to see in the first round. Hassan I feel Reddick, like this though, is like our man crush. Let's go ahead and do this real quick. Top 15, right? Nathan's giving you his. So, uh, Eric, what position. Would you want most of all in the first round? Can we get some production and some sexy music here? Uh, no. Okay. So since we cannot, <laughs> since we cannot guarantee the offensive tackle being available to us, and honestly, Dude, this is your draft, man. Steer it where you want. I don't think it's likely, Kevin. And I like realism. I like the cornerback pick. Okay. I I like a sexy pick and. I'm sorry, I'm not a local college guy. I could give well so much more care about any local colleges. But so then, Eric, can I interest you in a six foot, one hundred and ninety five pound corner with buttery smooth hips? <laughs> because <laughs> this is a man who could play both the left and the yeah. right side. He in he has. Why are you trying to sell me on my romance? Extreme change of direction ability. Yes. And go on. I like want to try to guess who it is because I actually watched a bunch of corner tape, but I, I have no idea who you're talking about from this description because there's so many good corners maker. in this draft. 
He's he just he make the man makes plays. Who is this? Um, Tell me more. This is Gary Conley. Gary Conley. Oh, okay, so here's you the thing. About. I like. Uh, is, he, is he is he like trying to like talk about Trudeau? Is Conley your right man crush? Is uh, did you steal <laughs> no. my man crush? To talk about your man crush? No, I. The problem is like uh, I don't know. I guess I'm so far into it. It's like it's like what I imagine it would be being a like a judge at a modeling competition where you're like you just have to turn that off that's basically what we're you're, doing you're seeing too much i only you know less creepy but also kind of just as creepy you right? know if you love conley i'll be honest i see us taking conley but i i'm fixated on one mr buddha baker buddha I, baker might be there in the second force i like and i'm fine with that i just like <laughs> you like poor man's honey badger Yes, I like the versatility he offers. I like that he can play inside corner. I believe that he can play some outside corner. I believe he will be our heir apparent in the safety to either Cam or possibly insurance on Earl. And I really, really, I watched a lot of Buda Baker. I like Buda Baker. Here is my write up on one Richard Buda Baker. He literally, less than like five minutes ago, was like, I don't really like the low care about the local guys. It's because I had to. I had to bring. I had to like totally the, tone it down, and then and then I had to bring it up with Buda Baker. Right. So Buda Baker has a nose for the ball. He's a great open field tackler. He's extremely instinctive and knifes in to kill the run. He has slot and safety potential. Yeah. He has plus change of direction skills and can blitz with good timing. Mm-hmm. He is massively undersized. Oh. Yeah, I don't think he's a real... I don't think he has first-round physical and tools. And may to struggle to hold up in the NFL. Yeah. I don't know if he has trouble holding up in the NFL. I know he's smaller, but I like him in a, in a future safety role. You know what they said? About uh, there are there's a GM on record as saying that if he had played corner, he would be a top twenty pick in this draft. I I, I don't disagree with that. I think he's got more potential at corner than he does at safety. Uh, by the way, you mentioned Tre'Davious White out of LSU, Nathan. Tre'Davious White. The only reason why I think he's a first round corner, but I think he's a pure nickel. He yeah. is quicker than fast. He has great footwork. He has elite foot speed. He can he is really good at knowing what's going on with the ball, but. He doesn't have closing speed. He his as a strider, he has trouble keeping up. And the thing with guys like uh, if you look at Sidney Jones, Cordray Tankersley, and Garyon Conley, we talked about arm length. There, they have the arm length to play tackle in the NFL. Like they are, they have like between thirty-two and thirty-three and a half inch arms. So when you're trying to D up on a guy, they're the ones who can reach over with their left hand and just bat the ball out of the receiver's hands. They have so much range. This is a crazy draft for six foot corners with a range all day. Honestly, I just see that. I see that that is what we're going to do. We're going to take an offensive, and I'm sorry, an outside linebacker who is not TJ Watt. Just watch it. Just okay. watch it out. Okay. So, Nate, um, what are you thinking? Uh, well, so here, here's the thing. Here's what I'm thinking right now is that 40. Three, or 44.1% of mock drafts right now have the Houston Texans, Texans picking either Pat Mahomes or Deshaun Kaiser, the pick before us. That's not happening. And what I'm thinking right now is, boy howdy, isn't it great that we aren't in a position where that seems like a thing that might happen. God. I'd be so <laughs> mad if I was a Texans fan. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm, I, I think I named those defensive linemen because I want to get one of those five guys. At the end of the day, like I would, I think that a defensive end is a position where we could add more depth and be, re- and it would really be helpful. I don't see, um, 
I don't see us having like a. I mean, I know a lot of people like King Cash ninety two, and I like him too. He seems like a cool guy. Cassius Marsh seems like a a really nice dude. I'm not sure how much he gives us in the like uh, defensive end rotation compared to like a guy like if we brought in Taco Charlton, you know, for example. Like I I don't know. So I I'm kind of into the def- the idea of drafting a defensive end. Um. That said, if Ryan Ramsick or Garrett Bowles is available, we should 100% pick one of them. So it's, it's just way too good of a fit. So the the internet, by the way, agreed with uh, Eric about going after a defensive back, but offensive tackle was second. And let me give you a quick rundown on those offensive tackles because I know that's what people want to hear about. So there's Ramcheck, Robinson, and Bowles. I say it in that order because that is my order. Having watched oh. a lot of film on them... I'm bumping Cam Robinson over the top of Garrett Bowles. Wow. And here's why. Because so, maybe you like it raw. <laughs> <laughs> as the uh, as the old dirty bastard is wont to say. I'm good with that. So uh Ramcheck is six six, three ten. He has a lot of core strength. He's going to stick at left tackle. There's some medicals, but that's the only thing to worry about. When you watch the tape, he's really strong. He's a sticky run blocker. We talked about this with Britt. You can't shake him. And he finds the guy he wants to block. He could struggle a little bit with the speed rush, but he has the footwork to make it work. My comparison for him is Nate Soldier, the or Solder, Solder out of uh, the who plays for New England. Yep, I think he's that kind of a guy. Um, and the size comparable is not that bad you're, either. You're uh, you're not. I'm not gonna lie. I hate New England's offensive line. I think it's like one of the worst parts of the team. So you made me want him less. <laughs> Good job. He's the best player on their offensive line. Yes, he's like the only above average player on their offensive line. Um, so Cam Robinson, 6'6", 322. He's a three-year starter at left tackle for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He can hold up 1v1. All those guys that Nathan just talked about, uh, Barnett, uh, Miles Garrett, all these top defensive ends that we're talking about, he's the guy who had to block them, and oftentimes it was one-on-one. He's really physical, he knows his job. He's intelligent. He's a punishing run blocker. The problem is his arms get a little wide at times. And so you have to worry about that holding call. And sometimes his gut gets over his boots. Like his stomach is too far <laughs> over his toes and you see him lose balance. He can be a little bit of a shover. And so I think worst case scenario, Eric Flowers for the Giants. Best case scenario is a better Russell Okun. Just, uh, I know we're not supposed to talk about Miles Garrett, but you said his name. And I know he's going to get picked 25 picks ahead of us, so we have no chance of getting him. And this is a Seahawks podcast. God, that guy's a freak. But wow. That is an NFL football player if I ever saw one. He Holy is the smokes. most no-brainer number one pick. When people are going, well, maybe Cleveland won't. You're an idiot. Maybe Cleveland needs a quarterback. It's like, yeah, they do. But guess what? This is a once-in-a-generation level defensive end talent who, I mean, it's like Von He's, Miller. Yes. It's it's Von Miller. You're drafting Von Miller. Do you want to have Von Miller on your team? I sure hope you do because if you don't, you're bad and you should feel bad. Yes. <laughs> like, that's no joke. Like, that's how I feel about it. Like. This guy is amazing, and he, yeah, I, I, if in three years he's not Von Miller level playing playing at Von Miller's level, I'd be I'd be stunned. Yeah, he's just that good. So really quickly, Garrett Bowles spent two years at a JUCO, two years out of football. He only played one year at left tackle for Utah. He has really good movement skills. He's six five, two ninety seven. He's an athletic tackle, but 
he went on a Mormon mission. Number one, he's 25 years old. Offensive tackles, if you look at the curve, usually start hitting their Pro Bowl years about three years into the league. So if you're getting drafted at about 22, 23, usually by your 25 to 27 season is when you're peaking. He is going to be getting that seasoning about 29 years old. So you have to wonder how long his window is. The second thing is that he has the leg drive and athleticism, but he doesn't really kick slide and pass protection. And I saw a lot of plays where he ran out and was looking for a guy to block. I think his awareness is questionable. That's Let's also yeah. say this guy is so goofy looking. Like just, <laughs> just like Google Google Garrett Bowles and look at the pictures, and you're just like, Whoa, I figure we have that on our team already, this guy Kevin is a Goober. That's not goofy looking. I mean, a guy looking for someone to block. I feel like we have that already. That's what puts Cam Robinson over him to me. I think Cam Robinson has more polish, more field awareness, and more upside. I like that you put Ramzik first. Ramzik is clearly first to me. Yes, the other two guys I don't feel like are super far apart. Robinson seems. Raw. His technique is not great uh, to me. Bowles is a one-year starter and a total question mark. I think Robinson, at worst, projects as one of the best right tackles in the NFL. I and I, at worst and at best projects as a above-average left tackle. Let me put this a different way. I'll take no one saying Forrest Lamp will play left tackle in the NFL, but I would much rather have Forrest Lamp than either Cam Robinson or Garrett Bowles. Even though I'm 100% sure he'd play guard for us. Like, uh, but you plug I, him in at left guard next to Luke Jokel, man, right. he's really good. He's, because he's going to be the best NFL player out of those four guys. See, I that's, I put that out on Twitter. Only 6% of people said offensive guard. But I think if you watch that tape, if you're like, yeah, offensive <laughs> guard, you're going to draft a guy who immediately becomes our the, best offensive lineman C- by a mile. And the Seahawks are very interested in Forrest Lamp. If you weren't aware, they brought him in for an interview. They, Went to his pro day. Like there, he's a high character guy. They really want Forrest Lamp. Like I, I cannot stress this enough. Like the Seahawks want him. I don't know how. I I don't know how I feel about their offensive line talent evaluation. But if they we are, picked they, him, he's on our radar. If we picked him, even though it's a guard, I would be super happy because that pushes Jokel out to left tackle. Because in my opinion, I think he beats Gilliam easily, and then we suddenly have. Like, if you're talking Nathan's one good offensive lineman theory... We have him. He is a damn good offensive lineman. All right, Kevin. Uh, no fall. Realistic. Who's the guy you want? Just a realistic guy. Realistic guy. Ramchek's the guy I want the most. And that's and that's even if, like, a guy's falling? Yes. Okay, there you go. I don't even need to ask the second question. Eric, Eric from what you've heard so far... Uh, who's the guy you, you uh, realistically think we could get that you want the most? Conley. Okay. And oh, who's, a, so sexy. who's the guy that... Uh, uh, realistic think, is a stretch. Who's the guy that... Yeah, it is. He might get picked before us. But who's the guy that you... Th- Actually, you know what? He, he's projected right at the end of the first round. So yep. it's right It's right in the zone. Who's the guy that might fall that you would like to see us get? Like, do you have any interest For in me? like... In like a Christian McCaffrey falling or like a I haven't I watched enough Christian. I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys about McCaffrey because originally everyone said that like the, all the mock drafts said McCaffrey for us and Kevin I think you were like eh on him is I am I right about that like no, you like I really like him you like I his just pass don't catching think that's right? what we want 
I mean, uh, how much do we really need? This is a, this how much do you hard. want Reggie Bush before New Orleans, New right. Orleans ruined? Or there you go. Better Danny Woodhead. Like, okay. How I, much do we need that? No. Better Danny Woodhead is such a, a hard thing for people to understand what that means. Well, Danny Woodhead is flexible and fantastic. He can line up at wide receiver or running back. He like Christian pick, picture Danny like, Woodhead pass just, catcher, but a much better running okay. back. Or maybe another way to put it is. Um, the the running back for New England. Uh, why can't I do this? My brain is not. Uh, James White or no, the, uh, the, the actually good the one. The one that can stay healthy. Dion. Dion, Dion, Lewis. Dion Lewis. Dion Lewis. That actually stays healthy. That's Christian McCaffrey. Like he can. He's flexible. He's fantastic. He's good at everything he does. He knows how to play football. The problem is, at the end of the day, I don't know if he can play all three downs. And he's you're gonna. I don't know. He, I think he should just be playing wide receiver. You know who my comp is? Honestly, he should just be playing wide receiver. Do you want 16 touch a game plus return man, Shady McCoy? Yeah, I mean that's that's not bad either. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't. His route running because he's not is a so small good. guy. His route running is so good. Yeah, and I'm, he's an elite athlete. Like just, he's an athlete. I don't see him on this team, and I just like, no, I don't think he belongs on Seattle. But he, if he, if he lands on Green Bay, that's gonna suck for everyone. He does double moves from the running back position. Like he'll go out wide and get lined up on like a like a safety, and then and do a just, hitch and go. He'll or do something. like a real like legit double move and just like beat a guy. And it's like what? What? To answer your original question, the guy that is falling that I want, you're not gonna like this, Kevin uh, Ramzik. I feel like. He is not going to be available. Available, and he's no, the I one don't think I would he's like going to be available. Probably, but All right. that's I guess Ramchick's my follow, my faller. If, if I'm talking the guy I think is actually going to be there, then I'm saying either McDowell or Conley. All right. I think my, both of those are good. My uh, my 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 dream guy I want us to take uh, T.J. Watt. I don't care. <laughs> he'll be there. I think he, no, save that. That's your day pretty, two faller. Pretty sure that uh, that he'll be there, and I want him. And my dream guy who falls. Uh, is a guy that will n- never make it to us. There's just too many teams in the way. OJ Howard. That's never going to happen, but gosh. I think the latest he could go is 16. But man, he is so good. He has all the upside in the world, too. Yeah. He, I The comp that I've heard for him, and I arrived at it and then saw that a bunch of other people <laughs> had it, too, because I think it just makes sense. Greg Olson. Yeah. Hmm. He's so he good. is a top-shelf blocker. And a top shelf receiver. All right, so uh, let's get let's just do Tip a quick top. quick NFL news to save time. We only have about uh, ten minutes left on our stated time. I know I know we could go a little longer, but uh, Raiders to Vegas. Just quickly, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up, thumbs thumbs sideways. I think this is the best thing that can happen for teams that if you want to see your team play a road game, this is the best thing for you because going to Vegas is cheap, the hotels are plentiful, and you'll have a really fun weekend. I could definitely see like being like, hey, Seahawks are playing at Raiders this year. Do you guys want to go down for the weekend? And that totally being a trip. And I can imagine that happening for any number of fan bases. For every yeah. single fan base. I'm not a fan of anyone losing their team, but I think this move makes tons of sense. There was nothing. Okay, let's be honest. The Raiders haven't been in Oakland forever. Like they've they've already moved a couple of times. Right. Uh, they spent 21 years in Oakland, then they've spent 12 years in LA, and then they've spent 21 years in Oakland. They'll spend two more, and then they're going to Las Vegas. Yeah, that the two year thing is weird. It's like, uh, hey, my, uh, John Ryan, I think, said, tweeted out, like, hey, I know I just dumped you, but I'm going to stay in our house for the next two years until my new GF is done building the <laughs> new house. <laughs> yep. Here's my thing about Oakland is when I think of, Oakland Raider fans, I think of like, oh, scum of the earth, these guys, but that's just the way they look. I think the scum of the earth fans are the 49er fans. Those are the Bay Area fans I don't like. 
Oakland fans, they're loyal, they're fun. And they just got out of prison. And they just got out of prison. They're not looking to start trouble because they don't want to go back. They all look like the backup singers for Guar. But on the other hand, they are playing in a, in a building where toilets are constantly overflowing into dugouts and And baseball games. Yeah, seriously. This is, it's, it's a terrible building. Oh, the Oakland does not, cannot work that team. And Mark Davis needed to find a city that would pay for a stadium. Yep. He didn't really have a choice. And I, I mean, I would say like, I'm not going to feel bad for Mark Davis, but that's why it happened. Mark Davis can't afford to build a stadium in Oakland. And if he could, he probably would, to yeah. be honest. Uh, but he's, he can't afford it. So he's going to move the team to a t- city that pays. And he moved it to a team that's pretty close. If I was an Oakland fan and the team was moving to Vegas, I mean, that's a, you could still make it to a game if you, you wanted could to. You still be an Oakland fan. Like, Is that 12-hour drive? I mean, what are you going to do, be a 49ers fan? No. Ugh. Ugh. All right. So uh, other NFL news. Oh, um, they uh, they banned the field goal leap. Yeah, I saw uh. that. <laughs> what do you guys think about that? I don't. I think it's dumb. I think that's stupid, but I also understand why they did it, okay. because somebody's going to bone it up and hurt someone. It reminds me of the Sarcastic Ball episode of, uh, of South Park. Why don't we just have them... Uh, Throw a balloon around, and then all the other players hug while the other, you know, it's like like the. Uh, by the way, that Oakland to Vegas is an eight and a half hour drive, uh, seven and a half if I'm making it. There. Yeah, but then yeah. you're in Vegas. It's also a one hour flight that probably costs forty nine dollars. You know what I mean? Like it's ooh forty nine forty niners. Way to rub it in. Nathan. All right, sure. Uh, let's go with uh other NFL level news. This is my my. I'm gonna go on my soapbox for a minute. Sean Payton and Johnny Manziel were uh, spotted together at breakfast. They discussed a return to football for Manziel. If the Saints sign Manziel and Kaepernick is still not on an NFL roster, I am willing to believe the conspiracy theories that say he's being blackballed. I didn't believe it before because I don't think Kaepernick is like a great NFL football player, but dang, he's way better than Johnny Manziel. What is it about Johnny Manziel that gets this... The, the, uh, the coaches, the GMs, whoever it is, it's like Tebow. Like they, they reach for this guy. Because for what reason? In college, he was an electric, these guys, football player. These guys know the difference between pros and college. And they'll say, you know what? That guy's good in college. He won't work here. But when it comes to a quarterback, they're just, you know what Tebow and Manziel have in common? They're, they're someone spent a first round pick on them. Both of them. Yeah, that's awful. Uh, you know, my one of my favorite offensive tackles of all time, Joe Thomas, said this about Colin Kaepernick, and I think it's a very good point. Kaepernick is not being taken, be- is not being signed right now because one, he's not good enough to be a starter. Two, because of his shenanigans last year, uh, you know, kneeling during the uh, Star Spangled Banner. No, he, I think Joe Thomas said nobody wants any problems from their backup quarterback. And I think that that's a very fair point. Right or wrong, whatever Kaepernick did, but people do not want any drama from their backup quarterback. And so Nathan brings the obvious point to the table. Then why would you pick Manziel for your backup quarterback? Hey, I'm not, I'm not arguing. Yeah. Set. But I think, are they looking at Manziel as like a, as a future guy? And are they looking at Kaepernick as, a forever backup. That's that's an NFL league-wide question. I don't know. But uh, last piece of NFL news, Hugh Jackson says Brock Osweiler is going to be given the opportunity to start, which means the Browns should cut him as soon as possible. <laughs> and, 
know what? If anyone can squeeze blood out of that turnip, I'm going with Hugh Jackson. Yeah, like, I thought it was a little too good to be true when I heard that the Browns are going to sh- now trade wait, Osweiler. Wait, no imagine way. if they get an average season out of him and then trade him to like the Jets. Oh, it would be a masterstroke. Yeah, I mean, the Jets the Jets are so desperate. They are still thinking about signing Jay Cutler. Although there's prevailing sentiment in the NFL now that Jay Cutler's just going to have to sit 2017 out. Did did the Jets sign any quarterback? Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they signed they signed a McCown. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, that's right. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Yeah, so Cutler they McCown. They signed Randy McCown. And the ghost of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay. So, that's all I got. Um, they're gonna, They might allow unlimited challenges, but they haven't decided yet, so I'll just touch on that next week when it gets covered. Um, anything you guys think I forgot? No, we spent way too long on the draft, as is necessary, and I think we're good. All right, so... Uh, Let's uh let's plug some stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Seahawks Nest. You can find us um, on Patreon by searching for Seahawks Nest. You can find us on Facebook by by searching for Seahawks Nest. Wow, I'm just like really repeating myself a lot of times. <laughs> uh, find us on iTunes and give us five five stars. Uh, tell a friend who doesn't understand podcasts who's listening to like regular radio still how to listen to a podcast, and then say, "Hey, man, it's great." They only just show for like one minute during this podcast, and it's not that annoying. Uh, if you listen, <coughs> give us a like and a retweet, a like and a share. Like you're on the page, just like click that button real quick. You don't even have to write a review or anything. Just give us that little notification, and it gets it out to more people. So don't you don't even have to write stuff. You just have to click. All right. So uh, that's that's our. Uh, mini pitch right there uh and uh thanks to all those people who do not in our patreon all eight of you guys you're awesome uh much I, love i appreciate you all and uh the new the new and improved uh mixing board should be fun fully funded by the beginning of next season it's looking like I'm di- i've done i've ran the calculations if it's not done in september it'll be done by december so that's that's pretty exciting for me yeah that's good times um all right so um so, uh, this movie, uh, there's a rumored sequel in the works. This is a movie where there's a new one that they're planning, and I could not think of a movie that would be less desirable for a sequel <laughs> than oh, this no. movie. Oh. And that is The Matrix. They are thinking about making oh. a fourth Matrix movie. So, guys, let's talk about... I thought you guys about... see The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Passion 2, The Reckoning. This time... It's personal. Oh, that's like Josh Ford. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going with the alien resurrection theme, but that's fine. Okay. So, yes, Josh, Josh gets personal. And it's so an Easter movie. All right. So, they're not remaking it. They're making a fourth. They're making, they want to make a fourth Matrix. Uh, I don't know why or how, but let's talk about the Because they don't Matrix. have enough awkward pan outs of Keanu Reeves' ass. It's, <laughs> it's 1999. Okay, this is a, this movie came out a long time ago. By the way, we're just going to ignore the second and third movies. Yeah, they, they didn't they, happen. They barely exist, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so it's 1999. This is, by the way, uh, John Santos 10. Yeah, Shout out my, to John Santos. My father's favorite movie. It's not close. He's watched this movie probably six thousand times. And if you ever ask him how a movie is, he will always say, "Worse than the Matrix. Worse than the Matrix. <laughs> not as good as the Matrix." <laughs> you know why I like it? Because Neo, he's the one. He's the one. Bro, he's the one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so my my dad loves this movie, but The Matrix. It's 1999. Okay, uh, I would say that 
this movie was a giant leap forward for like action choreography in terms of like how action is choreographed. Uh, it was a leap forward. I'm not sure that some directors took the wrong lessons from it. Yes. Um, which was like cranes. They were like, Hey, we can just use cranes and cut away a thousand times. Like that bad lesson. Good lesson would be like, you know, spend some time with your action shot. Like when the camera goes all the way around Neo while he's dodging the bullets, that's a cool shot. Original. Because you're watching the cameras pan around him while he's dodging these bullets and it just, it lingers. And Jackie Chan said it best, good action lingers. Yeah, there's another good set of scenes when, in scenes where, uh, especially Neo, but there's multiple scenes with different characters, where they are running from agents and the camera is done as a chase cam so that you experience the situation as they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It creates a really interesting cinematography like moment. So all of a sudden, you know, he bursts through that door and as he sees the agent and hears the gunshot, you see the agent and hear the gunshot and it just makes the whole moment pop and lift. And then like Nathan said, that's the moment they choose to slow it down. This was directed by the Wachowski brothers at the time and no, they're- Sisters. Yes, they are. Uh, the Wachowski brothers, it's funny that you said all that, Kevin, because two directors, at times this movie feels like two different directors. And that's, that's not a knock on it. I love that. It's, you get a lot of explosive sci-fi elements, very visually stunning, but then you get some moments like you just described that were very down to earth, very, um, elegant. Elegant I, and intrigue with the, with the action. I know? love the production design in this movie. Uh, just like the way that they, make the two worlds feel different uh everything in the in the um there's a first of all there's like a green tint to everything in the matrix when they're in the matrix and things are going yes. everything just looks a little green which is good because in the movie it's stylized green is the matrix green flowing numbers is what the matrix looks like so then when we're in the matrix everything looks a little green when you're in the real world everything's sterile it's cold there's ship their ship is like a piece of crap. They turned the warmth down and they made it very blue. It's like a slight yeah, blue shoot at everything. I, I yeah. agree. And the their ship's like a piece of garbage because the, the that world is supposed to feel broken, cold, uh, full of despair. Which I think is a really neat way to go about designing uh, or differentiating those two worlds. Yeah, the practical effects in this movie are underrated because everyone notices the special effects, the CGI, the green screen effects and where it kind of pushed in some of those areas. But I agree with uh, Nathan. I think the practical effects in this movie did a big service to it and really helped tie scenes together. You know, the fact that there was a believable amount of garbage in the subway system, there yeah. was just <laughs> enough dinge. And I mean, the way that, I mean, there, there Lars, like a lot of stuff, that got injured on making this movie. Like, pulling people around on like uh with the hydraulics and stuff because they were just they did a lot of they had to do a lot of practical effects it was 1999 uh the director of john wick chad stahelski was majorly injured in the filming of this movie because that scene where neo gets slammed into the roof uh he like broke a bunch of ribs and stuff uh, oh, i did not know that yeah so like this is a there's some real uh you know real real cool practical effects in this movie i think a lot of people learned a lot of things like you said this is a movie people took lessons from i will say i will say this about the movie i don't know how good it would have been without the massive special effects 
Although I will give this movie credit, they they did a lot of world building in one movie. Now you said you want to forget the sequels. We let's not talk about two and three. Two and three were stale because there was no world building. It didn't need it because they did such a good job on the first one. They wanted to wrap up the story, but I felt like that would have been better as like an they, animated movie or something. They really leaned into the philosophical side of the story in the second two movies, which I feel like was the it was not as interesting as they maybe wanted it to be. It'd be like if they made a Star Trek movie that steered heavily into the physics of what keeps the ships able to float through space. It's like, this is Stuff not we don't the part care about. that we want. Like, like we're going to make a movie entirely about explaining the technobabble of a sci-fi movie. Well, and I, I think, if I can just say something maybe a little rude here, I think why maybe 2 and 3 weren't as good is because the Wachowskis peaked in their first movie. This is their first movie, Nathan. Uh, Can you find that? Wachowskis. The the Matrix being their first movie. Uh, Lily and Lana, they made... uh, No, this was their third movie. Okay. Uh, uh, But I've never seen Bound. Oh, I've heard of Bound. Crime Forever. That's a weird movie. Or Assassins, which is a movie that Oh, that movie sucks. That movie's really bad. They just wrote it, though. And honestly, they, they, they... they got second screenwriting credits. It got rewrote by some other guys, okay. so maybe it could be... Wachowski's, horrible. like, they peaked at this movie. Matrix 2 wasn't as good. Matrix 3 not, wasn't as good. Not a big Speed Racer fan? Speed Racer, I'm actually a huge fan of that movie. I'm also the only person that likes that movie. Yep. My wife loves Jupiter Ascending. She says well, she's the only she's person the that likes that movie. She says, she says it is a mindless fun and that... You can turn it on and not think about it, which I would, I guess, I would say that's what they did. I would just drop one word from her review, and I think that we agree. (laughs) (laughs) Did do you guys watch Sense Eight? No. Okay, I've never watched it either. I've heard it's really emotional, and that's why I don't watch it because I'm just not ready. But I think they peaked in the Matrix, and I, I I say that's inarguable. Legitimately, very good movie. It's dare I say it's a classic. It has holes, undoubtedly, but. I don't know. I think we're all of the opinion that a movie can have its flaws and still really represent a move forward in a genre and be a really high quality movie. You've got Keanu Reeves in one of his finest roles, a role that he embraces, a role of a guy who says, whoa, and it works. You've got Carrie Ann Moss doing an excellent job. This is like a career revival for Carrie Ann Moss. Her career was basically dead at this point, and this movie kind of brought her back. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Larry Fishburne, amazing in this movie, and you also have uh, Joey (laughs) Joey Pants, Joey uh, Joe Pantaleone uh, is the. We don't want to spoil anything, but he has a very good role in this. And Hugo Weaving in his breakout performance. Seventeen years ago, I don't think you're spoiling. Yeah, I know. Uh, I still don't want to say it. Hugo Weaving though in his uh, breakthrough performance. Yeah, and I mean Keanu Reeves. he got a bunch of back end for this movie because he took just like a 10 million up front and then said like, I'll take the rest in uh back end for the movie if it's successful. And the movie made like $450 million. So he did pretty good on that one. Yeah. Good for him. Uh, Hugo Weaving's really great in this movie as agent Smith. Uh, Joe Pantoliano as like the, uh, like scummy, uh, uh, the backstabber backstabber yeah. guy is He's awesome. perfect. Uh, this movie has like some great meme potential. Uh, not like this is one of my favorite gifts of all time. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, the woman saying not like this. Well, and just so many red pill, blue pill jokes have been made mm-hmm. since then. This is a movie that really did work itself into pop culture. 
Think about you know bullet time. Think about <coughs> in video uh, games. Like it's a it's which a video game pill staple now. Are you going to have these things have become like you know it's sort of like when someone says I haven't seen Star Wars and you're like well you've seen half the movie in references and you just didn't know it. Same thing starting to hold true for the Matrix. You could have never seen the Matrix and as you're watching it, you're like oh shit that's where that came from. That's fair. That's good, Kevin. And I mean a lot of movies tried to cop- copy the style. Of um, you know, this movie they tried to be like like Equilibrium is a good example of that. Yeah, where you like try to to cop on the style, but I I would argue that it was it's really hard to try to do what they did, and they I think that degree of difficulty is shown by the fact that one high con the reason kind of I thought about this is high concept science fiction like this doesn't get made very often. No, um, and that's why like Ghost in the Shell is releasing this weekend, and that movie it maybe aspires to be like this. I'm not sure it will be successful or not, but it it, it that's the aspirations of that movie. Uh, the remake is coming for Blade Runner, and that's another yep. high-concept sci-fi movie. I, I think you could argue Total Recall. The remake? No, the original. Okay, because the remake was uh, a real, real below-average movie. No, but the, the original was an attempt at high-concept, but then they packaged it in this uh, very appealing and edible Arnold Schwarzenegger Let me go on package. a 30-second rant about the Total Recall remake. I can't handle the fact that they... They took a movie and then they just took like no chances. Like that, the thing that's great about Total Recall is just how weird it is. It is out there on purpose. Yeah. And so like that, so then you just like take all that stuff out and you're just like, like the, it made it when they showed like the, the weird, any of the weird stuff to call back to the first movie. Like anytime they showed something like that, it was like, it felt so out of place. It felt like they were nudging you also. Like, yeah. hey, hey, we put this in there. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't. It was like it was made with check boxes. Why don't you just make a different movie and not call it Total Recall? Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So Neo, the One, Morpheus, Trinity, Big Ups. I like the Matrix. It's like one of my all-time favorites. If for some reason you haven't seen it, if you've successfully avoided the Matrix to this point, stop. Just stop. <laughs> Watch the first one. Ignore the other two. You're good to go. Yeah. This is just if you appreciate movies, we've recommended some movies in the past. Hard-boiled, if you appreciate movies and can handle subtitles, that's a movie you should see. Uh, this is that kind of movie. If you appreciate high-concept science fiction, if you appreciate well-made action movies, this may not be a 10 for you, but it's a movie that you should see. And if you've already seen it and it's been a while, go back and watch it. It ages gracefully. It really does. All right, so that's uh, that's us at the Matrix. Uh, for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronnebeck, for our executive producers Brett Hancock, Kerry Santo, I'm Nathan, and we'll uh, see you next week. Go Hawks!